Welcome back, everybody, to the recap show. Uh, we're so excited to be here. We took a little break, but now we're back, and we couldn't be more excited to uh, be making this content with you all. The world of sports progress and equity is heating up, and so is the recap show. So we are going to give you a little bit of information on our trip. We were just in London, and we got to witness firsthand the incredible growth that's happening in women's soccer there. So we are going to talk a lot about that today on The Daily Discussion. Let's jump right in. So we've been traveling a bit, and um, it brought us to one of our favorite cities in the world, which is London. Um, share with me why you love London. Oh, <laughs> I love the cold air. <laughs> You know, I don't even know London in the summer. I know a winter London. I know a winter market. I know um, the Hampstead Heath. And I know a magical little swimming pond for ladies only. <laughs> and I know an amazing high tea with some scones and clotted cream. <laughs> oh! Now I missed it. I was happy to be back until you asked me what I liked about London. <laughs> Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, and there was kind of an epic moment at an Arsenal game that um, happened. Do you want to tell us about that as well? I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, See, this is the thing. We prepare for these episodes and then you have like secret stories that you stash away, huh? I do because <laughs> I like the surprise. So we were we were able to see Arsenal play two times, once in the Champions League and a second time um, in the league. And Arsenal in the men. second game, do you remember what you said to me? Uh, well, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, football matches are 90 minutes, so I'm sure I said quite a few things. Okay. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. So Okay. I do know what I said. I said I was an Arsenal fan. <laughs> right? You did. Okay. What prompted that? Was it well, just, we just was had... it time to finally Well first they're put playing your pretty state. well. <laughs> they're playing very well. Fair. They are top of the table. Wow, you're a fair weather fan. fan. Um also I've now I've seen Arsenal men and Arsenal women play so many times. It just feels And right. you can't help but fall in love with them when you watch them play, right? Yeah, let's go with that. <laughs> okay. I like it. All right. So a big part of um, what, what prompted the daily discussion was we actually went to the Nations League game between England and the Netherlands at Wembley Stadium. And, you know, for a few days before that, we were watching all these press conferences, um, all these advertisements for the game, uh, all over TV, on the tube, it was everywhere, and then we go to Wembley, and I'm pretty sure there were over 70,000 people there for for a match, and it was a fantastic match, but it was just crazy to see. Um, we got to see firsthand just the incredible trajectory, um, having played in the WSL uh, for United and for Arsenal um, pre-Euros and then obviously going back um, and seeing kind of the post-Euro wow. um, effects. Uh, so kind of like paint the picture. Give me like a story that kind of encapsulates 
the before and I guess the kind of present um, where football is in, in that country? Yes, I think that on this recent trip, we were kind of like smacked in the face with like a reality of what's happening over the pond, as they say. Um, really, because we turned on Sky Sports and we were bombarded with press conferences and prep for this game. And it was amazing to see. Amazing. Uh, so we'll get into that later. But I think that there was just such a juxtaposition between where women's football is today uh, versus where it was when we played there. Um, so that was 2020. It was COVID. So to be fair, we didn't see a single Manchester United fan in person. We knew you were out there. Um, but we still got a really good sense of where the game was and what the expectation was. Um, and I remember when we first signed for Manchester United, um, both of our jerseys sold more than any men's jersey had sold so far that season at the time of our signing. And I remember that was like huge news. Yeah. Like the girls, the team, they were like floored by that. Um, and we we went over and we went over like established US Women's National Team players and like I didn't know anybody's name on Manchester United at the team that I was joining. Yeah. I had never seen them play. Yeah. Um, I had never probably watched a WSL game. I've played against WSL teams in Champions League when I lived in Sweden. Um, but it felt like in a lot of ways we were seen as like big fish coming in for a relatively young team um, to kind of up level everything mm -hmm. and we had fantastic teammates we had a fantastic team yeah um, and these are now household names we're talking about lauren james alessia russo ella toon mary earps like katie zellum these are all now like names stars. that are stars absolute stars and exactly at the time when we came into the locker room we had no idea who who they were and neither did anyone else in their country yeah and I, and I do think you know it was by design that Casey had us go over there Casey Stoney because I think she knew she had a talented squad that was going to be the next generation of uh the lionesses um but it was you know uh the expectation that I always had that the U.S. Women's National Team was always going to be the best paid the most known the highest following players um no matter what, right? Like mm -hmm. that was my entire experience on the US Women's National Team. It wasn't something I was like cared either way. It was just like, that is what how it was. And that is how it was when we went over there. And I think now, you know, I just watched those same players win a Euro, mm -hmm. um, score a backheel goal in like the semifinal, <laughs> chip the keeper. Like those were these yeah. exact teammates yeah. that were looking at us like up at us yeah. and now like I'm sitting here watching them play at the absolute highest level and do things that footballers only dream to do right so proud. um so proud again in the world's cup in that run up to the final just like they did extraordinarily well and yeah. they're elite players yeah and there's a huge juxtaposition in the feeling around them um, they are known players mm -hmm. in their country, um, and we actually know exactly what that feels like yeah. because I feel like for us, it's um, kind of deja vu of 2015 yeah. when I went into the World Cup and um, no one knew who I was in the soccer world and beyond, and I came home thinking that things were going to be the same, and all of a sudden my life had changed like upside down. Yeah. And now we're watching that happen 
to uh, the Lionesses and these players. Um, and it, it's incredible to see it. I actually think it's more incredible to see it from third-party perspective. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really interesting. So we are seeing incredible changes in England. Um, and I think I would go out on a limb and say that we're only going to continue to see this growth and acceleration happening. So talk to us about why. Why do you think that this is happening? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and I can't highlight this enough, and I, I, I share this over and over again, um, is winning matters. Mm -hmm. The team matters. And these Big global competitions are the biggest platform for the winning. Um, even like where you see where like the leagues are, I would say, other than Champions League, like right now, the biggest the biggest tournaments that we have, and I would I would rank them like this, are the World Cup, the Euros. And I would say Olympics and Champions League, but Champions League happens every single year. So therefore, I would even put Champions League above the Olympics just because of frequency. Mm -hmm. um, and we can get into a whole nother topic about how I feel like the women's game has actually outgrown the Olympics. Hot actually, take. it is a hot take. And um, where I think it, who suffers the most it, are the countries primarily that are outside of uh, Europe because they don't have strong um, competitions like the Euros. Um, if we saw the Copa America get huge, um, obviously we're going to see the Gold Cup happen, but we would need to see an increase of tournaments that are more high Well, yeah, and you're also level. saying that Champions League and the Euros only happen in Europe, right? Yes, so that's exactly. like two out of your top three tournaments, which really means we're talking about the World Cup for everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that um, we've also seen the power of international competition mm -hmm. affecting the league, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when we're over in the UK, we did see an international competition, but we're also seeing like extraordinary growth happening at a domestic league level um, because those players are known entities. Yep, yep. And what happened with the Euros, and we experienced it in particularly in the 2015 World Cup, was the Lionesses did something that their men's team like did something that kind of felt elusive. They they won a Euros on their home turf, and in that moment, they became beloved. Mm -hmm. Their whole entire oh, country. a home win. A home win, but and a win that was significant, and also the way that they played in that tournament was significant, and everyone fell in love with them. Mm -hmm. And we experienced that in 2015. Um, it was a moment in our careers where everything changed for us. Um, and then that was obviously compounded in, in 2019. But that's when all of a sudden you get a whole generation of fans that say, like, oh, I love this team. Because you gave them a moment. Everybody in their lives, we go back to the 99 World Cup, everyone in their lives, like, you created dreams for young people. You gave fans a moment that they will forever remember. And that you, they fall in love with these players. Um, and that's why winning matters. Because that holds on for a long time. And what we saw was not only did they perform like so well in the Euros, they win the Euros, but then they go on to play mm -hmm. the World Cup 
um, and they get to the final of a World Cup. And even get even though they didn't win the World Cup, getting to a final of the World Cup, you essentially have accumulated the amount the 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 biggest possible amount of eyeballs that you could have in a world championship by getting to the final you've done, whether you win or lose. And where we saw a significant drop-off is obviously for the first time ever, the U.S. Women's Nash team had had their worst uh, world championship in the World Cup. And we see these players, like if you take a Sophia Smith, for instance, who was all over um, in every campaign leading up and every commercial or whatever, mm-hmm. but you're out in the round of um, 16. And, and therefore, like the biggest platform that you can have as an individual – is completely dependent on the success of the team. Yeah, they cut all those commercials halfway through the tournament. <laughs> yeah, they started promoting like the the NFL or college football <laughs> or something like that. Um, but basically, like when you look at comps of players, you take the best players in the U.S., the most marketable players in the U.S. right now, and you compare them to um, the players over in Europe and particularly on the Lionesses, and you see individual brands that are twice, three times the amount currently. Which is shocking. Which is shocking because when you think of the US Women's Nash team and you think of kind of marketing and women's sports and investment. And also the always, size of our country. <laughs> and always, yeah, we've always led the way. And we're not even talking about like like Spain and, and the um, individuals there. We're just kind of focusing on this one yeah, and I love – so, I mean, we do sound like so American. Winning matters, but it does, right? Yeah. And I think, like, little examples um, to kind of paint a picture is, um, like, you know you feel culture shifting when you're in an Uber driving to Wembley mm. and um, the Uber driver knows that the women are playing in Wembley mm-hmm. and asks, oh, how much are tickets? I've been interested in going to a match. Mm-hmm. Just like a simple comment like that. And the reason that we could feel that shift is because having been there before this like growth spurt, as I'll call it, we actually experienced a deeper level of sexism than we get day to day in the U.S. Yeah. Obviously, we're just talking about our own individual experiences. Everyone's different. But there's definitely more of this idea that I felt in England that football was a men's sport, Mm -hmm. right? And there wasn't that openness, that progressiveness culturally to like uplift women. And so just that simple shift, like as I compare it to driving to my own game at Manchester Mm -hmm. United and uh, my my cab driver assuming that I'm going to watch Mm -hmm. the men play, right? Mm -hmm. So I think those like subtle shifts like just show that it's changing. And I think that that's related to where you play. That's related to media coverage. It's also about how much these players are getting paid because just like – that conversation of like market value and how much teams are paying, like it's interesting. People tune in, and it also just creates this like value and effect. Yeah. Um, and it's it's culture shifting. Yep, it's culture shifting, and so so I think we can. It's safe to assume winning goes above any individual talent, any um, individual achievement, any potential. The team winning is is the most important thing for for growth um, at scale. The second thing is um, scalability. I just said scale scalability. Um, now, 
I kind of want to reference back to 2015 and we had what I would say was like kind of a similar feeling of like a whole like World Cup because it was in Canada. Um, we came home, everything changed for us individually. Um, we saw kind of attendance spike and stuff like that. But where we weren't necessarily able to capitalize, and we speak with Kara Nor- Norman, the um, founder of Angel City, a lot about this, is um, she came back to the U.S. and essentially like saw our league, and and we weren't able to scale the amount of interest and fandom of what the U.S. Women's Dash team was back into our league. Well, a little fun story here, actually, um, for you Angel City fans. Um, little do you know that Tobin's actually a big part of the inspiration for Angel City because Kara came home and wanted to watch Tobin play and found some, like, whack stream of the Portland Thorns and nicknamed her Tiny Tobin because she was, like, the size of a pinky nail. And she said, like, I'm starting a club. I'm changing this. Yeah, and, I mean, look. Look what has come out of the 2015 um, and one incredible idea and opportunity. But to get back onto it, so scalability. So so you see, you saw an incredible opportunity to scale, but the infrastructure wasn't there, right? So you couldn't really like turn it on. On the flip side, what we saw with the Lionesses winning the Euros is it is scary, the ability for Europe to be able to scale. Because their whole infrastructures, and this is all of Europe, their whole infrastructures revolve around their number one sport, which is football. Therefore, if there's an opportunity to scale the women, it's like boom, 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 plug and play. All of a sudden, the women are in training, have training grounds in the men's facilities. The women are playing at the men's stadiums. The women have the promotion, marketing, fandom of global, global clubs. The women are are essentially on Sky Sports every single night in the same conversation as their male counterparts. It's it's crazy. And yeah. in the same breath of them promoting, you know, a game. For Manchester United men, they're promoting the game for the Manchester United women. Yeah. And same with highlights, same with news conferences, same with advertising games. Yeah, no, I, I think what you're saying is so important because, you know, obviously a big part of our careers was fighting for equity, right? Like being equal to our male counterparts um, from a lot of perspectives, including pay, but also in coverage. But the key of what you're saying is like right now, if you went into – 10 different households on the weekend and said, what are they watching on television? Very few are watching MLS, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Not disrespect. That's just the stats and the facts. And so we have equal... Unless Messi's playing, then everybody's watching. Oh, that's true. That's true. That changes everything. But unless we have... Unless... But what we're trying to consider is in these other countries... If you go into 10 households, 10 people are watching Sky Sports. Mm. And let's just call it Sky Sports, right? Like it's the equivalent of ESPN, right? And so it's just like they have it on. And so like each touch point, each time they view, they might like be like, oh, I'm not interested in women's sports and look over and talk, but they still hear the name Beth Mead. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, Beth Mead, it, like coming back from injury, like, oh, mm-hmm. whatever. And it just like starts to trickle into mainstream understanding of exactly. sports and sports culture. Exactly. And I, and I say this all the time. If you go 
anywhere into like any sports bar like you walk around like sports is so ingrained in our culture whether you care about it or not like you know what's happening in sports because it's everywhere but the problem and the biggest problem and i can't can't highlight this enough is that in in the other parts of the world particularly in europe where we're talking about with football being the number one sport all of a sudden women can quickly get to the equivalent of that on their side because the infrastructure is there in our country the number one sport is american football we're talking about the number one sport in our country by a long shot women cannot even play it well thank god (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole nother topic and snaps to that (laughs) But basically where we're facing a massive roadblock is in the fact that if even on a good day, we're talking about the MLS being maybe the the fourth best, most marketable, most rev share sport in our country. And that's a problem for us because women's soccer in our country is the number one sport. Yep. So where do we plug and play? Where do we get those easy, quick wins? Where do we fit into the landscape? Yeah. And, the, and the answer like that I think we'll have to get to is like we have to reimagine our sports landscape. And as maybe not as quick as what's happening in Europe, to turnkey it might be a little slower. Okay, one example um, that I think is was interesting for me, as you all probably know, um, I haven't been a a big sports fan, um, but going over uh, to the UK, um, you know, in my time playing and also when we go there to visit, uh, one thing that I noticed in terms of plug and play and like the ability of um, the European teams that are tied to men's clubs to be able to just accelerate rapidly is actually, above all things, um, the interest and fans, right? Mm, so That already exists. That already exists. Yeah. So like even when we were in Africa, if I said like, oh, I played for a Manchester United, everyone's face lit up. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it's so easy to understand that if your club has a women's team and you support that club, and especially because the fandom there is so much about legacy and history, mm-hmm. like you automatically love the women's exactly. side of your team and like you're through and through and that's just like how it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that's like really interesting because you're actually just talking about growing the amount of fans mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I actually remember even pre-Euros with our United teammates that when they signed for United, they got like Mm 50,000 like uh, followers on Instagram immediately just because the brand of the brand. Um, And that's really powerful. But look, we don't have that. You know, we don't have the the giants as like the women's team, you know, and also like that's not the NFL isn't global. Yeah. It's just That's our so country. Yeah. So the EPL is so so global. It's so global. When we Shots were in me. Africa, we were in Zambia. Everywhere we looked, there was a jersey. I mean, mostly Arsenal jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. You look for what you want to see. <laughs> you look for what you want to see. <laughs> um, but you know, like Barcelona, like like just 
it, it just, it's everywhere. Um, so that model works there. So where does that leave us? Where does that leave us? Yeah. So this is where I think I personally get excited because as much as we've seen that model work in terms of like quick scalability and being able to take um, advantage of these wins, like a Euros, like a World Cup, um, in in order to grow interest and awareness, where I see that being a hindrance is in the fact that sports need to be reimagined. Okay. And sports structures need to be reimagined. And where where I see women's sports is kind of this beacon of of hope and progress and equity and all the things that all the best parts of what sports are like being inclusive, being accessible, being fun, like being these vehicles for, for peace and for, for, for what? Unity. Unity and for entertainment, like all of these incredible things that sports mean to us and mean to the world. What women's sports can be is, just a breath, I think, of fresh air because our sports structures are outdated. And honestly, women's sports, particularly in our country, would be served better not being in that outdated structure because it doesn't represent the best parts of sports and certainly doesn't represent what I think women's sports are. are. So very interesting. So Talking about the growth in the UK, a big reason is scalability because they're counterparts with the men. But you also really believe in independent ownership. I firmly believe in independent ownership. And I'll just give you a perspective. So as much as you'll be able to take advantage in the UK over the fan base, the facilities and the structures, whenever you're under the same roof as a men's team, no matter what, because of historical discrimination and bias, you will always be the lesser of the two entities. Actually, you'll be even lesser than the academy of the two entities because that sports structure was created for one thing and one thing only. And, and you're speaking from personal sports. experience. And this is personal experience. And I'll just give a little bit of um, just context to this. When you go into any of these training facilities – and there is not a training facility to date yet that you can go into for a women's football club that when you go into it, you walk in through the same door as your male counterpart. You have the same size locker rooms. You have the same size staff. You have this every opportunity to be the best professional the same fields, the same time of the training. same time of training, time the same everything. And what I'm talking about is what we refer to over here in the U.S. as Title IX. There is no precedent that has been set that women's professional athletes or women's professional footballers and men's professional footballers have to have the same opportunities, and that takes place in a lot of things. But we're, what we're talking about right now is facilities, which is which is your workplace, your office. So imagine if you, whatever office job you do, you walk into your office, but the men walk through the front door and they have parking spots that are have their names on it and they walk in through the front door and the men have or the women have to drive around back to a dirt parking lot that you have to walk 
a little bit further, um, sometimes even further because other people get to park there too. And then you walk into a different section and the men have desks and you have to sit on the floor. And at the end of the day, you still have to present the same work. Anyways, that's a little <laughs> bit dramatic, but that essentially is what it is like. Well, this Every is Every single time you walk into your training facility as a women's professional footballer, you are met with the reality that you are less important, that you are less valued, and that you are the lesser of the genders. Well, it sounds like a ridiculous story, but it's not the first time I've heard you tell it. <laughs> no, I, I try to describe it because I think um, I think it's it's just it would never we talk about the best opportunity we ever had was in college. The most equal opportunity we ever had was in college, and that's because there's precedent. Yeah. And but where where there's opportunity is in the ability for independent structures like in Angel City, independent um, ownership to be able to create new sports structures that when you walk into your training facility, it may not be the same equivalent of of Manchester United men's Carrington training facility. Angel City might not be there yet. But when you walk into your office, you aren't met with the feeling that you are less valued, that you are less important, and that you play second fiddle. That's true. It's very true. And you're and it's an interesting example because I think our facilities have a long way to go, but they're still not second to something else, right? Um, so that's an interesting like psychological difference. I think there's also huge opportunity um when we start to think about the modernization of the game right so no we talk about modernization of tactics and players and whatever uh style of football but i actually mean um a modernization of the business of football and i think what the same way that the game changes and the styles change and what you're seeing changes so is the consumer yes and so what we know now is actually what the sports innovation lab coined the fluid fan um, the current modern day sports fan looks quite different than uh, the sports fan did, you know, a decade ago, a couple decades ago. Um, what do we know about this fluid fan? They're uh, digitally native. They are really values led. Um, they don't care as much about legacy. They care about uh, personalization, customization, and like co-creating experiences, authentic storytelling, right? So it's, a, it's an interesting evolution that the world is going through, especially when we're thinking about European football clubs. I think about legacy and heritage and history. And so maybe there is an opportunity for us to build this new sports house, especially in the United States, where women's uh, football is accepted, it is loved, and we don't have the same opportunity through um, de- like uh, codependent teams or like single ownership teams with men's and women's side um, all over the place. Yeah. Um, maybe we have this opportunity to reimagine the business of women's sports where we're actually co-creating yeah. this new vehicle that allows a different level of engagement and love and actually could help um, be the vehicle for change all over the world. And, you know, we know that 
the U.S. women's national team and the United States, United States soccer at large has always been at the forefront. That's like our jam. Like we are like fighting to be pioneers. And I think there's actually a business opportunity here for us to be pioneers and to create, um, you know, a new path forward where women's sports are able to grow and accelerate in the way that they deserve. Um, But that's just going to look quite different from Europe. Definitely. And I I think you just said it beautifully. Where we see the most opportunities, and I say this bit all the time, a lot uh, to my team, but it's a life motto, don't despise the day of small beginnings. Mm -hmm. Because there's very few things now in this world that you get to kind of have a place to build from, where you're not having to just constantly tear down um, old structures that aren't really working. Because it's very hard to tear down things because they're just made to keep moving. It's the law of inertia. So like the, what sports are in these like kind of outdated buildings, like they're not changing, but where women's sports has the opportunity is to look at things fresh and like, look at the business of sports fresh and look at the fan fresh. What is that next generation of fan? What do they care about? How do you build for that as a club? How do you build for that as individual brands of, of athletes? And where we're seeing women's sports in particular in our country kind of dominate is in this next generation of what fans want, of what sports are kind of craving. Um, and I think for anybody that likes building things, um, and like new opportunities, what women's sports is offering um, is the ability to take all of the learnings of, of this next generation and to create a new sports structure that actually we're leading. And now all of a sudden we're the leaders in sports. We're not just asking to fit into an outdated structure. We're building new structures that are bigger and better than anything that sports currently is. I think in Europe, you're going to get to a ceiling, right? Wherever the men are is like kind of where the ceiling is where the women are going to hit. And right now that ceiling's really high. You're still going to be 50-50 at the best case scenario at the end of the day. But where women's sports can go when you rip that ceiling off and you get to build a new structure, that to me is exciting. And that to me is potential. And people that are craving the ability to build um, on things that, like you said, like the fluid fan, um, that are worth building around. That to me is women's sports in our wow. country. It is time for everybody's favorite segment. Bum, 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 bum. Community questions. I'll start. Lauren S. asks, who are your favorite artists on Spotify wrapped? And for those that were participating in the watch live they're just dying to know well did anyone get it no one got it but i i will say that um i did i did preface it by saying of course taylor swift was one of them so they only had to guess two and still do you think that you would be able to guess who the two were i really really want to say yes but I uh, remember because I have a photographic memory and I actually remember watching your Spotify wrapped. Okay. Um, were you surprised by it at all? Um, no. <laughs> like it is surprising, but I was not surprised because I know what you turn on when you get in that car. 
Um, okay, so for you folks that are just dying to know, um, <laughs> I had Taylor Swift. You know, Swifty. Um, number two, Blondie. <laughs> That's the one you think is surprising, right? Um, I think it says a lot about me um, and what I, <laughs> I was doing. And number three, uh, Frank Ocean. Oh my gosh, I would have got it wrong. I thought it what was Drake. No. Frank Ocean. So I feel like Taylor Swift being a given just because of um, her being Taylor Swift. <laughs> the other two say a lot about your mood this year. Yeah. Yeah. I was getting shit done with Blondie. A little angry vibes there, huh? It was definitely pump up. I'm just put my headphones on and walk down the street like, yes, I can do anything. Um, okay. Okay. Rachel asks... If you could be any animal that you saw on the safari, which one would it be and why? Mm, well, my favorite animal is a hippo. <laughs> no, it's not. That's... Why is it your favorite? So my favorite animal is a hippo because um, when we were on a safari, I love <laughs> when we were on a safari, I would just watch them. You have an original thought. From my room, we were staying right on the Luangwa River, and we could see this family of hippos, and all day I would just get my binoculars and watch the family of why hippos. Are you try- why are you being me? Why Why don't you want to tell tell the community? It was funny. <laughs> I love a hippo. Like, hippos are so freaking cool. They're so cool. First off, the greatest, I know this is Kristen's community question, but (laughs) I didn't know, I have been on a safari before, and I didn't know that um, hippos left the water. So when I saw a hippo running on land, I thought I was seeing something that no one in the world had seen. (laughs) And if anybody's ever seen a hippo out of water running on land, like, Oh my gosh, remember it when you said... It was the cutest thing in the whole entire world. Remember when you said that you didn't know that hippos had legs? I didn't know they had legs. <laughs> well, I assumed they had, like, something, you know? <laughs> and they're so cool. And then the, the little hippo was, like, just a little roly-poly. Oh, what what cool creatures. If you um, weren't understanding my sarcasm, hippos are not the animal that I am. <laughs> What was the question? Was it that animal that I am or the animal that I like? That you like. It's not my favorite animal. It's Tobin's favorite animal. And I was just making fun of her because she literally watched hippos all day, every day with her binoculars. And hippos really just are like large lumps of nothing. Um, They're just like a big lump. How dare you? They don't really have any like extenuating features or anything. And And all they do is literally eat all day. Pop their eyes out of the river. Or walk extremely slowly and eat some grass. And yet they were so fascinating to her. They are so cool. Anyways, why don't you answer the question? Because now I'm I'm very curious. What's my favorite animal? Yeah. Oh, I know why you didn't answer it. Because you don't do favorites. Okay, what animal surprised you most? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That concludes our community questions. Um, Thank you all for submitting questions. Um, If you would like to submit your question that Tobin and I could answer on the next episode of The Recap Show, please join our community. Um, And we post every episode and we ask our community for brilliant and fresh new questions. Um, So please do so. 
Um, and thank you all for sharing, watching, supporting um, this show. We're so very grateful to you. Um, and if you would like to share um, our podcast with someone you think would like it, we would really appreciate that. Um, and what should we be looking out for in in membership and at Re-Ink? Um, some things to look out for in membership. Uh, we have a watch live with Tobin uh, this Saturday. <laughs> Who's that? Um, <laughs> some just special gal. Um, this Saturday, I'll be watching um, Arsenal take on Chelsea. Um, I am waking up at 4.30 a.m. Pacific time. So um, it's a big effort. I hope you all show up for her. Huge effort. I, I love them. They're so much fun. Um, and we also have get your holiday orders in for re-ink stuff. Um, you know, always a great choice is socks in the stockings as a stocking stuffer. Um, very ironic. And, um, let's see, what else do we have? You can gift membership. Oh my gosh. Gift membership. The gift that keeps on giving. Actually, I highly recommend gifts that keep on giving. Um, and then you're you're basically giving gifting the recap show um, and everything else that membership oh, has to I offer. Oh, I love that. Gift the recap show via membership. Yeah. So cute. Yeah. So great. Well, thank you all so much for tuning in. We love you. We appreciate uh, your support. If you would kindly subscribe, like, rate, do all the things on the podcast version of the show um, and share an episode with a friend, we would be deeply grateful. And um, tune in. Next, next episode's coming out soon and we'll be talking about the Africa portion of our trip. So we can't wait for that. Yes, hippos. The Recap Show is a Re-Ink original series produced in partnership with HeadGum Studios. If you believe in what we're building and love this show, the most important thing you can do is follow or subscribe. Hit the plus sign on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a review and share the show with a friend. We are so grateful. The Recap Show is executive produced by Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Shane Romani, and Jamie Friedman. For HeadGum Studios, The Recap Show is brought to life by supervising producer Katie Moose, associate producer Ali Khan, video engineer and editor Rochelle Chen, motion graphics Eddie Ramos. Thank you.